Welcome to Rooster Radio. Okay, we're back again for Rooster Radio. I'm Andrew Montessi with James Begley. And uh, Begs, we've been talking about some of the philosophies around Rooster Radio and what we're about. And basically, it's just talking to interesting people, doing interesting stuff. There's always a bit of a business angle, perhaps a bit of marketing, leadership, depending on who we're talking to. Bit of sport. Bit of sport every so often as well. But uh, this is just a, a fantastic episode because I'm sitting here, we've got glasses of wine and bottles in front of us. It's going to be something pretty special. Can you tell us what's happening here, Bex? We've got uh, David Bowley, who has been in the wine industry for about 12 years, um, working through a variety of different uh, roles. And I know we're not supposed to say this, but this is officially my favourite uh, podcast at this point. We haven't even started we're yet. Because one minute in. We are one minute. We, we do have uh, a, a bottle of red and a bottle of white in front of us. So apologies if you hear clinking of glasses as we um, enjoy this Friday afternoon. But look, we are really excited to have David here today. Um, again, he probably epitomises all the categories we've talked about. Young, um, having a crack, got a really interesting story and, and is working in a world where marketing um, is, is huge. And having said that, he also played a little bit of basketball and he's about six foot ten so um, David uh, thanks for coming along this afternoon and welcome and and to ask a really corny crap wine question how would you describe our office <laughs> if it was a wine natural yeah <laughs> if people know what natural wine is that'll give them a fantastic raw? Uh, description yeah pretty much raw and untouched I would say Excellent, yeah, excellent. That's about right. Look, thanks for coming in. Um, I'm going to start right into sort of the heart of what you're doing now, which is uh, Vintelopa wines. Yep, you're just Vintelopa. Just Vintelopa? Yeah, like sure. Like sure. You, you're that big, you only need the one name. <laughs> that's right. Great. Um, Vintelopa is, is a winery and you, you produce wine. You've got a great website. On that website, you've got a phrase and a statement which says, knowledge without pretension. What does that mean? Well, I think there's enough pretentiousness in wine. So that's pretty much the, the crux of that. But it goes further. I think uh, everyone wants to know more about, about wine. Everyone's intimidated by wine, including me, someone who makes it, is supposedly an expert. Um, it's kind of a never-ending story. So it doesn't matter what stage you're at in wine drinking, whether you're just starting out or whether you're like someone you know, in my position who makes it for a living. There's always something more that someone can teach you. Um, and so that's a big part of my website. And the way I try and communicate with people is to share knowledge. And it's, you know, not even that high level stuff, really basic stuff. Do you find people sort of have two reactions? And that is either they try and match, you're not, you know, the, the, the lingo and the jargon and they try and infuse it with what they say or they sort of shut down because they're not sure they're going to say the right thing. Yeah, so people definitely shut down when they... Because it's so intimidating, right? Yeah. Let's face it. You go to a winery... Let me paint the picture for you. You go to a restaurant, <clears throat> you sit down, and someone hands you a wine list. Like, you know, there might only be 12 wines on that wine list. And even then, you don't know which one to choose. Yeah, no one really knows. <laughs> right? So you do a bit of price shopping. Maybe you like Pinot Gris or whatever. So... I, I don't think there's any, there's been pretty much no resistance to me sharing the knowledge that I've shared mm. and it's been a, a huge part of actually how I've got people to come to my website and learn about what I do beyond that. Mm. So yeah. 
So what does that involve? The, you know, the way that you share your knowledge, teaching, what do you actually do? It's pretty simple to tell you the truth. I, for most of the year, I write a blog once a week on, on a Wednesday or a Thursday um, about, about simple stuff. Like, and when I say the simple stuff, I, I literally go and ask people. Like, I go to a wine shop and when people are walking out, I say to them, what was the, what was the hardest thing about what just happened in there? Like, when you went to the sh- shelves and tr- were trying to choose something, wh- what about it was that was challenging? And then I just listen to them and then I just try and solve that problem. So what are some of the examples? I mean, I'm a bit baffled when I go to a wine shop. It is daunting. What are some of the statements and phrases that it'd come be, out of it? It would be particularly tough for you because with the silver hair that you've got and the sort of the whole look, People would expect that you would know exactly what you're talking about when it comes to wine. Andrew, I've spent my life pretending I know what I'm doing. <laughs> it's nothing new. It's um, yeah, but what comes out of people's mouths? I'm just distracted by your... You're going to look like Craig Foster in about 10 minutes, <laughs> which won't be the worst thing. Um, uh, but my, my friend in WA, Brett Sawyer, always called me Fozzy. So, yeah, there you yeah, go. There, there you're not the first. <laughs> ah, so some of the, an example of what I'm talking about would be... One of the most successful blog posts I wrote, which is super simple, right? What's the difference between Pinot Gris and Pinot Grigio? There is a difference. <laughs> well, no, there's uh, not. they're the same variety. They're a different style, but people think they're a different variety or people don't know why they're different or, or whatever. Um, so simple stuff like that. One of, the, one of the answers to that question about what was hard about choosing a wine was like, well, I'm having uh, chicken for dinner and I didn't know what, to, what wine would match with that. So, you know, I've written blog posts about that. It's simple stuff. I'm a massive content nut. I mean, it's a core part of what I do day to day is create content, help businesses create content. What benefits have you seen over the journey of writing this blog, whether commercial, personal, um, how's it helped you? Well, personally, it's helped me connect with people better, which has also been a commercial benefit, but... A lot of people in the wine industry would tell you that they do it because of the personal satisfaction and I'd be one of those. So that's really nice. Uh, connecting with my target audience, if that's what you want to call them, yep. my people. Um, and then, the, yeah, the commercial benefit is literally getting more people to my website, which, which makes them more familiar with Vintiloper. Um, and then when they get to that point, as I, just, as I illustrated before, sitting down in a restaurant and seeing the wine list, Maybe they see Vintiloper and they're like, oh, I'm familiar with that. I'll choose that one. Mm. Like, it's no more complicated than that. And we're going to get into some of the, the <clears throat> Vintiloper story and the mechanics because I'm a bit fascinated with the commercialization of wine and what the difficulties are and where the opportunities are. Um, but I just want to pick up on one thing. You talked about my people or, and I noticed on your website again, you know, you talk about tribes. What, what is it about wine that creates tribes people are so parochial and so it's almost like a football team it is a bit isn't it i think it's because people feel safe with what they know so you've got two competing forces as a as a younger more um, energetic shall we say winery um i'm very clear about the people i'm trying to target who they are uh yeah i've got to get them onto my team into my tribe um, and that's very challenging because they are so parochial. Um, why are they parochial? Yeah, I think it's simply because safety, you know, with what you know and, um, and familiarity. So that's where, again, content, whether it be the blog, whether it be Instagram or, you know, Facebook and, and less and less, I think, Twitter, the other channels, 
which is still massive in the UK, mind you, which is one of my biggest markets. Yeah, Twitter still doing things over there. I don't know. Uh, I, I couldn't tell you, but um, through those channels, that's how I can sort of uh, attract that tribe, I think. And especially, you know, in Australia, Instagram is just so, so big. So you've invested a heap of time and effort into building a community? I have, yep. Lots of time. It's pretty much outside of the busy time of year, which is now, a huge part of my time is dedicated to building that community, community, building that familiarity, and that actually does turn into results. I was just going to say, you mentioned your UK market. Um, perhaps give us a bit of a feel for the general community, where everyone's based, where your sales are. Give us a bit of a, a feel for the spread. Um, Overall for Vinteloper, you mean? Yeah. Okay, so it's at this stage, it's about 75% of my production is sold domestically. Yep. First thing I'll say is at the moment, 100% of the wine I make is sold, which is great. It's one of those great problems to have. It's, <laughs> it's, um, a, it's a good start. You know, a couple of the wines in particular keep selling out before I can make them again. Which ones are, uh, which ones are the strongest ones? <clears throat> at the moment, it's um, Pinot Gris is really, really strong. I, I could make twice as much and still sell it probably. Um, the, the Pinot Noir, which is from my, vine my vineyard, the vineyard that I manage, is, um, has been super strong throughout 2015. It had a lot of success at like some consumer shows and stuff, so that really helped drive that. And then um, <laughs> the, other th the other two are these wines that are on my website but are unfortunately sold out. They're called Park Wine. And uh, I don't know if you saw those, but they literally are made for drinking in the park. <laughs> uh, they're in this um, 500 mil brown. It, it looks like a, an old sort of long, well, it's not a long neck, but it's the same style, isn't it? Yeah, it's, it's, it, it's a stubby bottle, I guess, but it's just kind of extended to be a half litre. <laughs> You're playing it down, but the label is pretty beautiful. It is good. Yeah, that's, um, it is pretty attractive. So the park wines are exactly what you mentioned at the start stripping away the, uh, the pretentiousness and just well, it's all about knowledge. And in fact, those wines aren't, aren't even about knowledge, they're just about drinking. Uh, and they are literally made for drinking in the park. So on my website, it doesn't say anything about wine making or any of that rubbish, bullshit. It just says, drink this out of the bottle, with a straw, whatever you like, cold, not cold, up to you. Just stick it in your backpack and take it to the park. Just to further this theme, just for a little bit longer, I, with my wife a few years ago, we did a, a tour of Champagne in, in France, and it was really interesting. The guy who took us on a tour talked, we asked him what his favourite Champagne was, you know, what we shouldn't ask, but we did. <laughs> yep. And he just talked about it was some little, you know, eight euro bottle, which he drinks often. And, and he, he made the comment that a lot of Westerners always refer to the price and the gold medals. and and he said, we here in Europe just have a slightly different mentality. If we like it, we drink it. Yep. Is there a different culture between, you know, why Australians would drink wine and why some other areas of the world would drink? Yeah, there definitely is. I think um, th that's a great point. And I think more people should embrace that. There's, not, there's nothing wrong with drinking a, a $10 bottle of wine if that's what you like. Like, fine, great more power to you because you're not spending much money. And, and similarly, don't feel like you're getting a good wine just because you spend $120. Like, there's a lot of, there's a lot of bad wine out there at that price, mm. unfortunately. Mm. Um, 
So it's, and that's kind of what I was trying to say before as well. It's all a matter of personal taste and just be confident in your personal taste and don't worry about getting it wrong because A, there's no wrong answer. B, in a year's time, you'll probably think something different anyway. Mm. So go for it. And just to go back a step, can you tell us how you got into this game in the first place? Yeah, I can. It's not a very good story, but I'll tell you quickly. <laughs> um, my, my parents worked really hard to give us, me and my sisters, I've got three sisters. All of them played sport at a higher level than me, so uh, good on them. But they worked really hard to give us the best we could have um, as we were growing up. And I was the eldest, so the rules were very... Um, very hard and fast for me and one of those rules was I had to go to university and I had to study a degree that was a minimum of four years and I had to also study a degree that had a defined outcome. Not very prescriptive. <laughs> <laughs> no. So um, arts was out, science, but, uh, but, you know, anything that's three years or less, out, off the table. So I basically went through the book and crossed out all the ones that I didn't want to do, starting with law and well, I started with the ones that I didn't get the score to do. <laughs> and then I started with the ones that I didn't want to do. And uh, lo and behold, there was winemaking. And I thought, gee, that sounds really cool, actually. Uh, and I'd always kind of wanted to work not in an office environment. Like, I wasn't much of an inside kind of guy. So, yeah, so I, you- I just turned up and studied it. And I was, well, I was one of about 30 students and I was pretty much the only one who didn't come from a family in wine. wine <laughs> I, I think it's a good story because you learn to love it and that doesn't always happen. I mean, we often, you know, so many people choose degrees in the same way, you know, by accident or fluke and they end up hating it or they drop out. I think it's great that you actually, you know, it's something that you learn to love and it's now become your passion and your life. Yeah, I did learn to love it, but I tell you what, it took me a few years even after I graduated and also what I learned to love what I, and what I love about what I do now is that, yeah, I make wine and it turns out that I might be pretty good at it, but um, I just love having my own business and being my own boss and reporting to no one but myself and walking around the city on a Friday wearing a cap and a t-shirt carrying bottles of wine. What, da- what does your day look like? Um, I'm, a bit of a fi- I'm a bit obsessed with fitness, so... I would I'll usually wake up at six and either go for a swim, a ride or a run. And it's not only for my fitness, uh, but also it, it, it's like good therapy for yeah. me. It's like meditation time. And um, it really clears my head for the day. Um, and then increasingly lately, I'll, be, I'll spend the first, um, first 30 minutes of my day thinking about what are the goals. I'm going to have the red run after this. Sorry, I was just we're, uh, in, pouring, pouring, pouring the, the final remnants of the white wine. Um, <laughs> sorry, continue. <laughs> no, no, I'll spend the first 30 minutes of my day uh, looking at my to-do list and prioritising it because right now I've got a business which um, is pretty busy and I'm more or less the only person in it. So whether it's actually making the wine or looking after the vines or sweeping the floor or doing the accounts or whatever um it's me so jeez gotta prioritize it's it's a fascinating part i think of performance um monty and i are in the same boat we often meet at either coffee branch or la mocha and have a coffee and we sort of sit and just talk about what we've got to do and what we want to achieve to start the day i personally wake up every day feeling completely overwhelmed as to where to start because i'm it yep Familiar feeling, familiar feeling. 
You've yeah. just got to, you've literally, I'm, I'm no expert, but you've just got to take the first step. You've got to do something. You've got to look at your list and you've got to tick something off in the first hour. That's the way I go about it. Do you have um, any process of prioritizing? I mean, we've all got a squillion things to do. Um, when you look at all the different jobs, how do you choose, right, this is the one I've got to get into first. I'm always interested because everyone has a different style and a different theory about the way they approach this stuff. Guess maybe, yeah. I do it two ways. The first way is I write them all down and then I, and I compare uh, the top of the list to the second and I decide which one's more important. Mm. And then I take that one and I go to the next one. And I, so I just do it two jobs at a time uh, until I ultimately work out what is the most important thing, right, of the day. So that's a pretty good process of elimination. The other way I do it sometimes is I'll look at what result do I need to get today? What, what, what action can I take that's gonna get me a result as soon as possible? And then I'll, I'll try and do that one first. But um, yeah, it's not rocket science. So give us an insight as to how your own project, I, I know that you've worked as a technical auditor, don't know what that means, but it sounds, um, <laughs> very official. I still don't know what it means. <laughs> Obviously a con contract winemaker, yep. a seller hand. Well, that's where most winemakers would have started so, as a seller hand. Yep. Yeah. How do you move through these phases to then own your own business and create your own wine? What happened for you? Uh, you grow a big set of balls and you decide <laughs> to not work for someone anymore. Yep. Like literally, it, taking the leap from work when I started at Interloper, I was still working for someone else, had the security of a, of a salary, things were great. But you get to a point and you, you realise, I'm going to have to make a choice here. And it, it, honestly, one of the most, the hardest things I've ever done was, was quit that job. And I quit at the start, I left that job at the start of December. I could have easily just, you know, rolled through to Christmas, got all the leave and all that. But once I decided... I had to make that jump, I had to make it. Um, do I have advice for anyone who wants to make that jump? Yes, I do. Just be the 1%, just literally do it. Like, No one is gonna tell you that it's a good idea. In fact, most people are gonna tell you that it's a stupid idea, but to hell with them, just do it. Did it, does it just feel like a calling though? Can you, can you not explain that drive as to what made you do it? I know I've talked to Andrew, he's, he's had a similar experience last yeah. year, leaving a job and, and starting your own thing, but- It's been a bit of a theme for Rooster Radio yeah. actually, really. The people we're getting in have all had to make that jump. And yeah, it's interesting. What, what pushed me to make that jump? Is that what you're asking? I don't know. Mm. Um, I guess lack of opportunity and the desire to to, to control my own destiny. And I think maybe that came from my upbringing a little bit, like having a big family and not obviously not having the chance to make your own decisions a lot of the time. Mm. Um, but also a, bit of the, a lot of the credit needs to go to my now wife, who at the time was, um, we were just in a relatively new relationship, but she had a very clear picture of her career goals at that point and they didn't really lo line up with what I was doing professionally um so i needed to i could see where it was going i thought then that we would probably end up getting married so i needed to do something that was maybe the extra bit of push that i needed to to grow a pair <laughs> and uh, um and get out there and do it so um yeah so then the specifics of interloper right how was it born well it was born out of my yeah my sort of desire to to 
to do something more with my life than work for someone else. And so what, one of the th- things that I really love about wine and having my own winery is that I actually get to create something, something physical, something tangible, something that's in our glass in front of us right now. So many of my friends, so many professions these days don't have that. I mean, this, what we're doing here, we're creating content, but it's different. Mm. It's not, it, you don't feel it, you don't mm. touch it. Um, and it's, and some, there's something about wine that's so romantic that these bottles that I'm producing, someone is gonna pull them out at some time in the future, whether it's five years, 10 years or 20 years. And the story of my life at that point in time is in that bottle. Sounds completely over the top and pretentious, but literally, the red, some of the red wines that I make from, start, from the start of the process to the finish of the process is about three years, which is currently about 10% of my life. So when you put that, when you think about the perspective of what 10% of your life is and what you've achieved in that time, uh, I think that's pretty cool. So that's where it came from, the desire to kind of, um, yeah, chase that creation, I think. And has actually doing it, has it met your expectations, exceeded your expectations? Mm-hmm. Um, I, 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 I would say it's exceeded my expectations because, you know, I listen to a lot of podcasts, read a lot of books, uh, cons- think about business a lot. And people say that if you wake up on Monday and it feels like Sunday, you're doing the right thing. And mm-hmm. I literally don't, I don't ever have a feeling about a day. I wake up and I'm like, let's go. Like today is the day. I never, I, I, thought, I almost feel like I never have a day off, but then again, I kind of never have a full day on either. Like, mm-hmm. It's a pretty good life. What about the name? Yeah, the name's really simple actually. Um, I just wanted something that was unique, memorable. Um, and uh, so it's a take on the word interloper, which is someone who just comes into an established regime and basically does whatever the hell they want. Uh, and then I just jammed Vin on the front for Vintner and, uh, and there you go. I changed the spelling a little bit because I didn't want it to be quite so aggressive. You know, that middle R is kind of not very, didn't feel very cool. So I just dropped that out. With all the, um, I guess, uh, branding that you've got and the real estate on your website, it seems to me you've got an eye for detail or at least you appreciate detail. Would that be a fair comment? I would say that that's, again, thanks to my, my now wife. I'm, she has turned me into someone who is absolutely fastidious for detail. And I didn't used to be like that. Um, not visually, anyway. I, think, I feel like I've always been that, like that with my winemaking. Um, but yeah, it's nice feedback. Thank you. She'll be pleased that you said that. What you're doing is obviously very personal. It's almost like an, like an art. Um, I'm always interested then, when people who have this creative vibe and they're creating an art, but they're also commercializing it, what's your vision for it? Um, do you see yourself building a really big business or do you want to contain it to something really personal and niche? Where do you see things evolving for you? This is a great question. I'm really glad. We did not set this up, I swear, but this is a great question. I'm glad you asked. Um, the vision, my vision is to be the ringleader of grown-up fun. This is no more complex than that. If you want to have, if you're our age, over 28, and you want to have a good time, I'm your guy. Put up your hand. And that's probably the, the, the perfect lead-in to your other project, which is yeah, the is. Urban Winery Project. Let's talk about that. Yeah, please. 
so these are the wines we're actually drinking. These are from the Urban Winery Project, and that is um, urbanwineryproject.com for those of you listening. And it's literally where um, I'm just going to give you my little pitch here. Mm, right? Please, please like, go. go for it. You guys will love this, actually. You know how people love, like people love visiting wineries, right? Mm. What's, but the problem with that is that you know they're usually they're a long way away. You got to have a designated driver. You know, it's kind of a hassle, right? So imagine if, instead of you having to go out there, what if a winery packed up everything and found a pop-up space in the city, somewhere really close and convenient for you, and they set up their winery, then they brought in grapes, then they brought in some of Australia's best chefs, and they, on one night of the week, on like a Wednesday night, you could come down, you could stomp grapes, do the whole Lucille Ball thing, and not only that, you'd make, so make wine, not only that, you're going to get fed by one of Australia's top chefs. Cold. It's the dream. Yeah. Sound like something you might be interested in. Yeah. all over it. Where do I sign? Yeah, but yeah. I mean, what, and what is, the, what is the process? How do people... What are the logistics of it? Where is this available? How does it happen? So, in 2016, it's happening in Melbourne. Taking it over to Melbourne for the second year in a row. Um, it's every Wednesday night, the 2nd, the 9th, the 16th, and the 23rd. And... Um, the logistics of it are an incredible nightmare, but basically I'm packing a truck with barrels, tanks, fermenters, my presses, pump, hoses, uh, everything. Sending that over, gonna go out, fly over there, set it up, and then every week for that four week period, I'll be bringing in a new batch of fresh grapes every week. And a little bit like a cooking show actually is how it works because there's some really cool parts of the winemaking process, but there's also a lot of standing around like smelling and tasting and not doing a whole lot right so i take those really cool parts of the process and a bit like a cooking show like here's one i prepared earlier mm. so bring in the fresh grapes and you know if the three of us are there we'd take our shoes off roll up our pants and jump in and, and squash them then right after that i'll pull out the one from the week before and then we'll put that into the press and we'll actually you know with the basket press actually extract mm. the wine from the skins and that'll go into a tank. And then after we do that, we'll go to the tank from two weeks before mm. and we'll put that into barrel and we'll be tasting it the whole way and doing the whole thing. Sort of talking about it, learning about it. Why do we do this? Why do we do that? So the vibe that I'm getting is it's just that experience and interacting yeah. with the process. So it to is. flow with that, I'm going to open... I was about to ask you The red, because I, I want some... Um, I want to experience the red that you've brought in today. So I'm just gonna I'm just gonna pour some in. And and I've always said wine wine makes a sound when it's pouring like no other liquid. And I don't know whether I'm being a wanker, but I've always yeah, thought you that. are being a wanker. No. So we'll just do a taste. Now I'm really keen just to taste this and talk to you in my layman, uneducated way as to what I'm. I'm try, I want to describe what I'm tasting. Yeah, tell me about it. But. Oh, and I want you to maybe talk me through some of the what, what I might be experiencing. So, well, before I do that, I want to tell you about the wine and its origins. Great point. This is the first time I've tasted this wine for several months, so it's pretty. Literally, it's pretty exciting. This for is me. this is a Rooster Radio exclusive. It is. <laughs> you guys are the first two people to taste it, other than me. Hey, jeez. So go be gentle. <laughs> no, this is the Urban Winery Project Red Number Three. When's this going to go out? By the way, probably tonight. Oh, awesome. <laughs> uh, and so this wine is going to be launched at the very first event in March, on March the 2nd. And that's the idea of the Urban Winery Project. So this wine was actually made last year in Northcote, in a warehouse, in the, at the Urban Winery Project, in a process that I just described. 
This by, really is fruits of your labour. My labour, your labour, it's by the people for the people, right? So very cool. It's a blend of Shiraz, uh, which is the classic Australian, and Malbec, which is really popular at the moment, the classic Argentinian. So is the Malbec, is that why it doesn't smell quite as just yeah, it's, full on? Like, you know when you smell Shiraz, really sometimes it's like smell. crazy. It's like it's really strong. This is just feels, smells a bit more buttery or sweeter. That's the only way I can describe it. Yeah, I think it's the, the Malbec is contributing to that. Also, yeah, the, the style in which we made it, which was so hands-on and so gentle, right? Like, so, really, what does that mean? You massage each grape or...? <laughs> well, in, in the case, honest, honestly, in the case of this wine, um, it, when, it was, when the grapes were squashed, in a big winery, in the, with the wines that you're describing, they do that with a big machine, right? And it's violent. When we squash these grapes, we did it with our feet and hands. And it's very gentle. Mm. And it makes a difference. So is that, is that process of, scalable? <laughs> so there's a chunk of your skin in this, is that what you're saying? Yeah, people, people always ask me about tinea <laughs> and all this sort of stuff. But alcohol kills stuff, doesn't exactly, it? Exactly, right? Exactly. Alcohol, fermentation is very, also a very violent process, so you don't have to worry about any contamination. Andrew, how do you, what do you think? Look, I haven't tasted it yet. No, but the smell. No, absolutely. I think your point, um, the smell's very mild. Mm. There's, there's nothing leaping out at me. Mm. Okay. Can we yeah. have a taste? Here we go. Smells like wine. Yeah, here we mm. go. Smells like grapes. Yeah, have a taste. I think it's, uh, I'm really pleased with it, really thrilled with it. The guys who made it with me, which is just regular people off the street. That is fucking mm. outstanding. Seriously. That is. That's beautiful. Okay, so you know sometimes with Shiraz you get that sort of after taste, which is yeah, we're really uh, come on, acidic mate. Find or, your or words. A, a there's a real sort of tartness about it. Yeah, what you're describing there it's is not there. No, no, it's not. You're describing tannins. Tannins. There we go. Yeah, yep. right. So <laughs> this is one of the things that I you know like to share with people because people always say, oh tannins this tannins that. <laughs> No, no regular wine drinker knows what, <laughs> knows what the hell they are. It's the dry puckering sensation that you get. At the end. Right, at the end, that mm. real dryness. And this wine doesn't have it, no, and there's a reason for that. Again, that gentle winemaking style, and also this is, a, this is bottled only after about 11 months in barrel. So the tannins come from the skins of the grapes and from the oak. So this is not that long in oak. It's 11 months is a reasonable amount of time, but also, the type of barrels that I use don't have much tannin, so it's supposed to be nice and soft. On another thing that seems to me like an urban myth, um, people go, all oh, good legs. Now, <laughs> can you firstly describe what people are trying to articulate, and does it mean anything? Well, what are, what are good legs supposed to mean? Well, I don't know. I do ride a bike a lot, so... Um, <laughs> You know, I'm pretty lean in the, in the leg area. <laughs> no, what you're talking about is the way that the wine runs down the side of the glass. And I have absolutely, I swear on my life, no idea what the point of that is. <laughs> I can honestly say too, I have been out and earnestly said, oh, good legs. When you, when, <laughs> when, I had when, no idea what it meant. <laughs> when, when someone swirls a glass and goes, mmm, good legs, oh, you know what I hear? I, I see the swirling and I hear, mmm, I'm a wanker. <laughs> <laughs> I thought at that point you'd just take the glass out of their hand yeah. and say, please never drink my wine. Yeah. <laughs> um, 
So, and the only other thing, I guess, for me in terms of, um, you know, taste is I, I really experience there's an initial taste and then there's sort of a secondary taste. Is that common? Yeah, it's, you know, that's because of the varieties again, like, and that's why it's the, the beauty of wine, right? Everything tastes different. Every wine tastes mm. different. And whether it's grown in a different place or it's different varieties or whatever that, you know, so in the terms of Shiraz usually so the upfront taste that you're describing is the shiraz component and then there's a little bit of a reduced intensity through mm. the next phase of the flavors and then at the end you get the malbec flavors and that's kind of if you imagine them on a graph the shiraz is really high at the start and then det- uh, diminishes and the malbec is the opposite to that so what you actually get is a kind of reverse bell curve of intensity it's really boring isn't it no it's not no oh, it's fascinating I'm, I'm interested, you know, the Urban Winery Project, it's, it's an experience-based yeah, it is. thing. I want people to learn about wine the way they enjoy it, mm. which is surrounded by their friends, having a lot of fun. Mm. So that's the whole point of the Urban Winery Project. And, and just on that, if you're listening to this, how do they engage you in terms of your, your mailing list, your website? I mean... Um, is it simply just to subscribe to your your information and, and sort of enter your world? Is that kind of what you'd like or Yeah, I mean my mailing list is is, is good, yes. but you know, if you if you were the kind of person who likes regular updates, um, I would say my regular schedule would be once every three months. I don't I hate getting emails from people all the time, so I don't like to email people all the time. If you really want to get yourself involved in my world, follow me on Instagram or Facebook. Um, those are great, they're really interactive. And Twitter handles, or not um, yeah. Instagram handles, or Twitter, Instagram. So what are they're, they? Twitter is actually how I first heard of Interloper. There you go. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, I've got about five and a half thousand Twitter yeah. followers. Um, and what's your handle? At Vintiloper. Yeah. And, and the same on Instagram at Vintiloper. You can hashtag Vintiloper as well. Uh, and on facebook.com forward slash Vintiloper, it's a pretty unique name, so I managed to get all the domains. Mm. Um, but I would encourage everyone to check out urbanwineryproject.com, watch the video, because uh, the video really gives you a feeling and a sense of what this event is going to be. Wine marketing is fascinating from what you're talking about, community building, social media, to labels. Your labels are obviously a beautiful thing. Um, and many winemakers you know labels are almost an art form and then there's copywriting as well the words to describe wine are are famous um famous for wank a lot of the time because it's just so descriptive and ridiculous yeah my favorite is ethereal (laughs) (laughs) they're not even real words i like i like what is it um to uh, ash, no, dirt. They use words like dirt and woody, um, woody and forest floor, cigarette notes. <laughs> yeah. and... uh, I want to talk about the. Can I talk about the labels? Yeah, please, yeah. please do. Um, please do. I want to give my wife a shout out, uh, Sharon. She. These are the Urban Winery Project labels. So mm. she actually doesn't do these that I've got in front of you today. But if anyone looks at the Vintelopa range or the Park Wine range. My wife is the artist for those. She does hand-drawn illustrations for every different wine that I make. And then a, a really great friend of ours, um, Chantal, is a, is a phenomenal artist. And she helps us out to bring those to life with some, some beautiful watercolours. And she also is the artist behind the, um, the top-range wines that I do, the Odeon wines. But 
yeah, massive, um, massive shout out to my wife who, who hand draws those, those labels of the Vinteloper range. People love that story as mm. well. You know, I make the wine, she draws the labels and they really are striking and I think they're classic. I've got a real kind of chip on my shoulder about labels. Mm. There's heaps of really interesting, cool looking labels out there. But I would honestly say eight out of 10 of those wines are shit. Mm. And I think mine are in the two that are good. And there's, you know, South Australian guys like um, some young punks, like their wines are fantastic, you know. Uh, but there's others who I won't mention who's, honestly, their wines are shit. Mm. You shouldn't buy them. Mm. Um, but people do because they've got a good label. You can bag people on Rooster Radio. We're all for it. No, We're all for it. Small, industry. small yeah, industry. Yeah, absolutely. But the Urban Winery Project labels, that's a different sort of project. Um, what I do, so these labels that we've got in front of us today, I actually, because it's made in an urban environment, I engage a street artist. It does. I was going to say a Melbourne laneway. That's what yeah, it reminds it does. me of. It looks like a laneway. Yeah, so this one, number three, was done by Alex Laos, who's a Sydney-based street artist, works really closely with Authority Clothing. Um, and I got in touch with him through the artist from the previous year who's... Um, a guy by the name of Steen Jones, who's pretty famous in the tattoo industry and also in the street art industry. You know, these guys have got thousands and thousands of followers. And I've had inquiries from all over the world to buy these wines just because these guys have got their art on them. It's pretty cool. Mm. Um, and these are two of the most striking. The white, uh, which is this guy here, is a, is a local Adelaide guy, uh, Fred Rock. And um, him and I hooked up. Uh, through one of his exhibitions recently where um, he asked if I could help him out with some wine sponsorship and, and this and that. And yeah, jumped at the opportunity and, and I invited him. as like, hey man, like, I, need a, I need an Adelaide con component for my um, Urban Winery Project labels. Can you do something for me? So yeah, it's um, one of my favorites actually with the sort of geisha sort of situation. Mm -hmm. And yeah, very cool. Striking. I want to jump into the commercial aspects because without that, you know, you can't have your fun and you can't cruise around on a Friday afternoon. Um, what are the real hard bits about the Australian wine industry in terms of making money? And, um, and I guess, what are also the opportunities? Okay, so the really hard bits are competition. Everyone listening, whether you're in Australia or not, think about it. When you go to a wine shop, how much choice do you have? so much so much so that you are intimidated and you don't know what to choose right so competition is massive in the australian wine industry huge challenge and there's no answer honestly uh all you have to do is just be the one percent stand out be at the top um so the opportunity though is i think a little bit of what i touched on at the start so for so long People who, who buy wine, who like wine, uh, have been the subordinate, have been listening to what people tell them. Mm. Listening to what winemakers tell them is good, listening to what James Halliday tells them is good, but actually the balance of power is shifting, or it should shift, or I think the opportunity actually is, I should ask you what's good why don't you tell me what you want to drink and then I'll make that mm. rather than me making something and telling you it's good so you mm. should drink it. Do you think that things like social media has leveled the playing field somewhat? Absolutely, yep. Because 
I don't have marketing. I don't have a marketing budget. Mm. It's zero. People ask me what it is. Yeah, it's zero. It's easy. Um, but what I do have is time, a lot of it, and I have authenticity. Mm. So you know that when you send me a tweet, it's me responding. When you comment on my Instagram photo, or if you just look at my Instagram feed, it's you can. It's a window into what I'm doing. Um, you know, looking at other avenues at the moment, like Pinterest, Periscope. You know, Facebook's the same. Like it's one-on-one connection and you can't get that with Coca-Cola. You can't get that with pen folds. Like it's someone in the middle filtering everything, making sure that it's the right message. It's, there's nothing raw about it. And the, this personal side of what you do, that's what separates you from the competition that you're talking about. Uh, Obviously from a marketing perspective, there's the quality and you know, the actual product itself. Yeah, it does. But, at the same time, I'm a, this is a business podcast, right? Mm, yeah. yeah. So I'm acutely aware of how unscalable that is. Yeah. So, yeah, there needs to be there needs to be authenticity. There needs to be personality, but it needs to be almost um, it's to a point. And so that's a bit of the journey that Vintelopa has gone on. If anyone has followed me for a while, they'd know that used to be photos of me on the website. Um, used to talk about me, me, me. Now it talks about us, it talks about we, mm. you don't see much in my face, even though everyone knows I'm behind it. Yeah. Um, you know, ultimately there's new people coming on board all the time in the tribe who just love it because A, the wine's good, the labels are good, they like the story, they want to be a part of it, they want to learn something, mm. you know? You don't have to talk about your figures, but give our listeners just some idea of the complex nature of how a BWS can sell wine say cheaper than what you can buy at the cellar door or what are some typical margins that 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 some wineries might make per bottle like let's just look at some ballpark what give our listeners just some idea as to the commercial aspects of a bottle of wine okay well I'll start with tax uh, in Australia, when you buy a bottle of wine, uh, if it costs $10, then almost $4.20 is tax. You're kidding. No. So that's the first point. Where that gets um, interesting is that uh, someone like me, of that $4.20, I can get $2.90 back from the government up to the first $5 million of turnover. Because of the size of your business. Because of the size of my business. But big businesses don't, uh, don't have access to that beyond that $5 million mark. Anyway, so the wine industry is one of the only industries where we have a tax on a tax. So we have the wine equalization tax, which is 29%, and then they apply GST on top of that. So the GST component is actually 12.9%, I think. Anyway, enough about tax. Um, to answer your question very specifically, the wine maker, the person who actually makes the wine, the person who takes a majority of the risk, outlays all a lot of the capital, puts the product, puts their product, the product in the bottle, and their reputation on the line is the person who makes the smallest margin. Ridiculous. However, that's the path we chose. So, fuck, we made our bed, we should lie in it. Grape growers. They're farmers, so some years they make really good money, other years they don't make any money. In fact, they probably make a loss. Uh, that's 
that's the nature of agriculture. I think that's part and parcel of it. Mm. Look, beyond that, I can tell you what I think happens, but you know, there's, there's distributors and, that, and that's someone who acts on my behalf. They buy the wine off of me, put their 35% margin on it and then sell it to a restaurant or to a retailer like a BWS who then put another margin on it. So in a retail environment, they'll put usually, again, 35% margin on it. Or in a restaurant, I mean, you wouldn't believe some of the margins. I lived in Perth, I believe. <laughs> I believe margins. I, I remember getting like a, a, a tour break, you know, one of the sort of, uh, I can't remember whether it was, I think it was the woodcutters, which is not, you know, might be $30 maybe. Um, and I, it was like $75, $80 in a Perth restaurant. Yeah, so. you will see a lot of restaurants, especially um, intelligent ones, use a lot of small producers like myself because most people don't know what the wine costs, mm. right? And even if they Google it, they see, oh, you know, it's, it's retails for 40. They don't realize that the restaurant doesn't buy it for 40. The restaurant buys it for significantly less than that. And then... But I don't know anything about running a restaurant. I don't know what the costs are, mm. you know. Uh, but all I know is that we, as the producer, actually probably make the smallest margin. And sorry, last question, Monty. He's dying to no, no, I'm hogging, no. I'm hogging it here, but please, you decide now to 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 do a batch, and you've never done it before, and you're going to bottle. And what's what sort of time frame from the moment that you decide to do a release of a vintage? to the point where you, you actually get some money in the door. What's the lag there? It's pretty long. From the time I decide to make a product, the earliest I could possibly be selling that product is, some people will do it faster, but from a quality point of view, I, I would never consider doing anything shorter than six months. That's, that's a stretch, six months. But take a wine like my Shiraz, uh, the process is 36 months before you see a dollar back. And the, you wouldn't believe the investment that goes into it. The grapes, the, the cost of processing, the barrel, barrels cost a fortune. You wouldn't- How much per barrel? This year I'm spending $50,000 on barrels. <laughs> Jeez. Right, and then you know what? In those, in five years' time, you, you know, know I've been to Bunnings and they have these half barrels that are about 50 bucks. So. Yep, so in five years, they'll be worth 50 bucks. <laughs> Oh, that's where they go, is it? That is genuinely yeah. where they go. Oh, yeah. <laughs> uh, so, you know, I can explain to my wife that we're not buying her that new car yeah. because I'm buying barrels that are going to be worthless in five years. But they will make the wine better. It's, I mean, the way you're telling it, it's a bloody hard gig. Yeah. It's a bloody hard gig. And yet this industry is at the core of South Australia's economy. It's critically important to probably Australia generally. What are you trying to say, Bex? You're looking at me, you're... I would love to say that I just knew these, but I actually researched this. Okay. It's our fourth largest industry, valued at $2.8 billion. So it's a massive industry. And yet... Why are we doing it? That's what you're going to ask, <laughs> well, aren't you? No, no, no. You must be doing it. it. Yeah, yeah, that. You know, why are you doing it? It must be a passion. But it must be incredibly frustrating that it's so important to the Australian economy, and yet... There's all these curveballs and hurdles being thrown your way that probably don't have to be there. Yeah, I thought you were going to ask me if I was going to start a winery tomorrow 
what would I do or how would I do okay, it? Okay, yeah, answer that. And I was, was going to say I wouldn't do it. Oh, shit, really? Okay. No, well, I, <laughs> no, it's probably going one step too far. Of course, I, I love it. I love, I love everything about it. But, yeah, it's incredibly... It's an incredibly silly industry to be in, really. From a business point of view, it's so competitive. The margins are so small. You can't get anyone to pay over 20 bucks for a bottle of wine. But this is a problem because it is so important to our economy that, you know, people like you saying you're frustrated. Many other winemakers who've been in the same position. Uh, without, the, without the wine industry, we're, in a fa- we're already in a fair bit of strife, as it is, particularly in South Australia. And without the wine industry, um, I think there'd be big problems. Yeah, there would. Absolutely. Uh, that's probably a topic for a whole other podcast. Yes, yeah, true. <laughs> but uh, we're getting a bit dark like this red, I think. Well, Thanks, lighten the mood, please. I, I would love to. Um, I guess, what are, the, what are the best aspects of it? If you're going to summarise... Let's finish, let's finish off this podcast on a high. Yeah, let's, let's, let's bring the mood up, just like I'm <laughs> feeling about, about the wine. What, what are the things that you love? And, um, and I guess, yeah, enlighten us about the, the things that give you energy. Could be a, it could be a long finish. Well, that's good. There's good. a lot. I love a lot about it. I love what we're doing right now. We're sitting around enjoying a glass of wine together, having a bit of banter. Um, and yeah, like wine is to me is, is a vehicle to those fun times. It's, that's kind of where the vision of the of Vintelopa comes from. You know, not to repeat it again, but the ringleaders have grown up fun. Like, you know, we all want to just relax and, and escape whatever is frustrating us on that day or that time or whatever. And so many of us, um, of our contemporaries, turn to a glass of wine on a, on a Friday or on a Tuesday. Uh, and I love that. I love doing that myself, being a part of that, sharing that with my friends. It makes people better blokes as well. Like James is a pretty average guy, and then he has a red, and I actually can get along all right with him. I completely agree with you. Not that bit. I, <laughs> I agree. I, you have a glass. I never thought I'd become one of these people that has a stressful day at work, and you get home and you have the first sip of wine, and you just kind of go, ah, the world is okay. You put on your Miles Davis yeah. record and you know, have your glass of wine yeah. with your silver hair. It's yeah. ridiculous. I love. Um, I also love being involved in food and, and the food and wine industry. There's so many great personalities and people, and um, and I'm very fortunate in that the places that I sell my wines are some of the nicest kind of places to go and hang out. Um, so such as uh, such as you know Arana and um, and Street here in Adelaide and pro- places like Press and mm. you know Ragonis around the corner and in Melbourne. Well. Let's talk about Melbourne. Gee, I mean, Gerald's Bar, which is an iconic. Um, Bell's Hot Chicken, if you're into your fried chicken and that sort of thing. Um, uh, Sunmoth Canteen, Turak Cellars, um, La Luna Bistro, Chin Chin, Super Normal. These are the sorts of places that I get to hang out in frequently and eat the food at. Mm-hmm. Um, and don't tell my accountant, but I write it off on tax. <laughs> I'm not sure the accountant we've is the a, one that we've got a massive. We've actually got a massive ATO following we on do, Rooster we? Radio. We're so, a couple yeah. of our accountant followers. I have yeah. a lot of meetings. Oh, we've got accountants. and I do a lot of uh, important marketing tasks yes. in places. Of like course that. you do. Yeah, yeah. Yes. Business meetings. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sure. Yeah. So I love that about it, no doubt. And and I love uh, I, I, you know coming up in a couple of weeks. We've got the Cellador Festival here in Adelaide. 
So there's that, there's the Urban Winery Project, that interaction with people who want to know more and want to be surrounded more by something that they're fascinated by. Super cool, love that. So I just want to recap um, the important bits if people want to get hold of you on mm. Twitter. What's your Twitter handle again? Let's just shout that out. At Vintelopa. Instagram. At Vintelopa. Uh, Facebook. Facebook.com forward slash Vintelopa. Uh, the website. Vintelopa.com.au. And and urban, oh, urban, web- urbanwineryproject.com definitely got to check that out early yep. bird tickets for the listeners in Melbourne are on sale until next Friday the 19th I would like to personally invite you to have uh, the Urban Winery Project here at the Rooster Coop mm. can you fit it in a room 2 metres by 4 metres <laughs> for you guys with a bit of banter and we're now halfway through this bottle I think we're going to do we've something got the, we've got the main arena out there which is sort of um, dimly lit, yeah. covered in yeah. rubbish. Smells like a yeah. like a bin, I think. Well, on those rubbish notes, <laughs> those chocolatey hints and ash-driven bits. Uh, I think if you made wine in the rooster coop, you'd be like, there's strong hints of dust. Yeah, and uh, yeah, and bin. Flecks of paint. <laughs> yeah. they, they might actually be descriptors. You never yeah. know. Yeah, never and know. Uh, there's a touch of asbestos <laughs> in this wine. <laughs> No, look, David, here's, uh, here's cheers to a Friday afternoon and a, an amazing hour of discussing wine. I've, it's been my favourite podcast by a mile, so there's something controversial. Um, Can I leave you with a thought? Please. Absolutely. I want everyone who's listening, and I want you guys to do this as well. Next time you go to, the, to buy a bottle of wine mm-hmm. in a retail shop, spend 25 to $35 because... That five to ten dollars, which is let's face it, it's like two or three coffees mm. from your week. The quality and the um, just the experience that you're going to have is so much better than a twenty dollar bottle. Mm. So please, I implore you. Well, there's a take home point for our listeners, yep. David Bowley. Thank you for coming in. Um, Vintelopa.com.au. Check him out. Thanks, guys. See Thanks for tuning in to the Rooster Radio Podcast, hosted by Tracks Leadership's James Begley and Apiro Consulting's Andrew Montesi.